Shank Bagley. Shank Bagley. Shank Bagley. Hello and welcome to Shank Bagley, an old Lincolnshire adjective to describe absolutely anything loose and disorderly, which sums me up quite nicely. My name is Katie Johnson and in a moment we'll be joined by the first of my guests, which include a MasterChef winner, two chefs and a baker from season nine. We're on series two, episode five, so other things with the same number. Pints capacity of an average dog's stomach. Ways the letter F can be pronounced in Icelandic. And recorded accidents in the home in the UK in 1994 involving sieves. So this week, I had the first of my Botox injections to try and stop my teeth grinding. It was delayed for a few days as they didn't have the correct needle. Apparently, I needed a green one. Well, as you can hear, I can still speak, but flipping heck it hurt. Why anyone would put themselves through that for cosmetic reasons is beyond me. More on that later as the conversation turned to something totally different. Let's hear from our first guest then, Eddie Scott. Winner of BBC's MasterChef UK 2022, who was about to do a cookery demonstration at Sirencester Food Festival in Gloucestershire. Eddie's cooking is inspired by his family's Indian Punjabi heritage and has spent years perfecting his Hyderabadi biryani. Couple of coincidences. Turns out he first applied for Bake Off many years ago, and before winning the competition, he used to be a marine pilot operating out of my hometown. I used to work with the Humber pilots and we'd work out of Grimsby. Most of the pilots are based in Hull and we'd drive across the, the Humber Bridge, magnificent view, and arrive in Grimsby. Um, so a great connection between the both of us. Yeah. I knew I'd get on with you. Lovely to see you. Your life, because you, you were no longer doing the Humber pilots, because you, you won MasterChef and thought, no, that's it, this is a, a new career for me, and food is, is what you do now. Yeah, I always wanted to get involved in the food and food industry. It's what really excited me. I loved ships, and that's why I went joined the Merchant Navy when I was 18. But more and more, food became a bigger part of my life, and that's why I applied for MasterChef, because I thought I'd love to have the chance to change what I do and get more involved in food. And that's what I've done. I've quit my job as a humble pilot, and now I'm cooking every day, um, cooking my biryani, another fantastic Indian, Indian fu- food and Indian fusion food. Great response from the programme, hence the first time you went on the road, you did various and many food festivals taking you all around the country. That must be lovely because it's all very well being on a television programme and you're not allowed to say anything, you go home at the end of the day and you tell your family what's happened, but all of a sudden you go out the front of the stage, there's people there watching you go, oh, oh you saw it then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, that's the, the amazing thing after the show, that you can go and connect with the people that watched you supported you even walking in today there there are a couple that said we've come all the way to come and watch you um we followed you all on on masterchef so it's great to to talk to those people and inspire them and show them what food really means to to me and and share that with people that's it's really important i think to to be able to give people the the recipes so that they can have a go themselves at home are you? Because I thought there was rumblings of a book, but I've not seen anything. Is is that still going to happen? It's uh, books are long process. It's 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 um, it'll be it'll be happening at some point. I'm writing it at the moment, so that will be very exciting when we can um, tell a little bit more about that. But that's it's something I've always wanted to do, and that's and that's a dream come true. Honestly, having the chance to 
to um, to write a book after MasterChef. That's that's amazing. I, I've used to have a huge collection, still have a huge collection of cookery books, and they'll be on that shelf. So that'll be very special. It's nice with cookery books because people do have them. Not everybody uses them. Some people use them as doorstops, but I suspect you have dabbled. Who would be if you had on a desert island you only take one book from that shelf who would it be was the person that made oh, these yeah it's a, there's two books i think really but if i was going to pick one then i would say it's got to be michelle rue pastry ah. and it's my ultimate um encyclopedia of all things pastry that's what i started making when i was a kid that's what got me interested it's got a recipe of full repertoire of different different types of pastries all the classic recipes it's a brilliant book and the covers actually come off I've used it so much over the years but that's my that's my ultimate book it's a classic um, and a lot of people use it as as a, as a reference guide it's amazing well pastry is a totally different ball game you're going to do fish for us today which is amazing but you can fiddle with that can't you for a, a savory remain dish you can fiddle you can add spice you can do this with pastry you have to be exact yeah you have to be exact but I think with pastry, people read books when they're making a cake, for example, and they don't look at the pattern in the ingredients. You'll find a lot of cakes, a lot of pastries, there's a set ratio, there's a set method. And if you learn the ratio, if books were written differently and they taught you how to understand the process to make the pastry, the cakes, the desserts, then people would find it much easier. And I've memorized all of these things, so I can stand up on a stage and, and make sweet pastry, short crust pastry. Um, all kinds of cakes but it's it's I think chefs should break it down more easily to be honest but yeah savory dishes you can have a taste you can add a bit more of a little bit of something sometimes chilies I use a lot of chilies the chilies are hotter on some days than others so you've got to adapt you've got to taste that's the most important thing just tasting as you go and learning from your mistakes always learning I think I know what this book's going to be uh, the way it's written then by the sounds you're breaking it down and that's that's fair dues it has to because you've got to be something different haven't you there's so many books out there to compete not only have your recipes got to be original which I think is 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 hard enough but I can I can feel that you're going to do it so we all can understand what you're talking about yeah that's it I think I, I especially when it comes to Indian food there's there's a lot of myths um, and there are a lot of complex processes that people find it difficult to explain sometimes. Chefs do things sometimes for no apparent reason as well. It's like, it's like uh, people have been told to dry roast spices as well. That's not something I, I do. I think that kills the flavour of the spices. So I just, I'm going to break it down really easily because I, at the end of the day I want people to follow the recipes and to have fun cooking them. Do we know what the title is called? No, not, not yet, I'm afraid. Oh. <laughs> um, and mum and grandma, huge influence, are going to get a, a mention because this is, again, that they influenced you, didn't they? Oh, they did, absolutely. It was my grandmother taught me how to cook all of the Punjabi classics. Growing up as a child, she'd cook every day. Um, really humble, hearty Punjabi dishes. And then my mum loved um, more European flavours. We used to go to France every summer and learn how to cook classic French food. Um, and had some wonderful, wonderful times cooking on camp stoves. Um, simple things like mackerel and just really nice olive oil, lemon juice on top. Simple stuff, but amazing. But yeah, it's the, the theme of the book is talking through all of my food memories, my food stories, and explaining what the dishes mean to me. Looking forward to seeing Eddie's book when it comes out. Thank you to Eddie Scott, MasterChef winner from last year. So, back to my Botox and my teeth grinding. It was administered by my dentist, who I have to say is lovely. 
anyway, got chatting afterwards, as you do, just to check everything was okay. And um, <laughs> I said, would it be all right to go and have my usual sports massage the following day? I know I'm not a sporty at all, but um, it helps every two weeks. Get to a woman of a certain age and you need something. Anyway, that's by the by. He says, I couldn't go until things started to settle down. He then started talking about how he has a massage, but a Thai one. Told me the first time we went was he and his wife was in, it was in New York and now won't have anything else. First thing you see when you go in this room, he says, is a pole. Um, so you start to get up. Anyway, you lie down and then whoever's doing the massage uses the said pole to leap up onto your back <clears throat> and then they walk on you as well as using their elbows, etc. Jeez, I hope they take the shoes off first. Things you learn. Time for our second guest, and it's second time round for Chef Steve Lyons, who trained under world-renowned Raymond Blanc OBE. Steve was also at Siren Sester, so I asked him to share one of his recipes with us. Asparagus à la Grenoble. Sounds very posh. It's it sounds very French. Yes. They always make things sound better, don't they? So we're going to put the recipe on the Instagram and Facebook as well, so please don't worry about the spelling or anything like that. But we've got the dish in front of us, we've taken a picture of it. Talk us through then, Steve. What, it's obviously asparagus and... So asparagus is banging season and where I live, there's lots of asparagus grown, which is why I want to do the asparagus. So we've got asparagus, capers, lemon, we've got butter, grated egg, and we've got croutons. Uh, and lots of butter and more butter and more butter yeah and more butter yeah. so the base of it is a uh, grenoise is um, normally a brown butter caper lemon we can put lemon segments in i didn't i put lemon zest and lemon juice in but we could put lemon segments in there as well and croutons and then i've added the grated egg to it not all the grenoise have grated egg on it but i think asparagus and egg work well together so it just works nice if somebody doesn't like asparagus, could there be an alternative? Uh, this dish works well with fish, chicken. But if it's going to be a white fish, you want something like a cod or something like that. But for now, we're going to do the asparagus. So uh, what do we do? So the first thing is prep your asparagus if you want to peel it. If it's quite thick, old asparagus, peel it. So when I say old, I mean if it's later on in the season, it's really thick and the skin's quite, quite tough. You'll want to um, peel that or trim it down. Um, and that's, that needs to be just boiled for three minutes, that's it. That's no more than that, two and a half to three minutes, depending on how thick it is. So while your asparagus is boiling, you will get your butter to a bernoisette in a pan. So just in a nice hot heat, let it start melting, let it start foaming. And then the next stage after that is bernoisette. Off the heat, then in go your capers, your lemon zest, your lemon, your parsley, and a few of the croutons. Um, by that time, your asparagus should be cooked. So drain your asparagus onto a plate and your, your sauce over, all the capers and the butter, and then just sprinkle your grated egg over the top and you're done. Thing with the parsley though, you don't put it in too hot, you have to take off no, the heat. So, yeah, so as soon as it heats the bernoise air, everything off the pan, off the heat, the pan off the heat, sorry, and then just everything in, nice and gently. We don't want to deep fry the capers, we don't want to burn the parsley, Watch when you add the lemon juice because it does spit. Mm -hmm. uh, so just that's it. It's, it's a really simple and it can be done 10 minutes tops. So it could be a great evening kind of supper. 
I do like the sound of that. Cheers to Steve, and I'll pop the recipe on Shat Bagley's Instagram and Facebook pages. And thank you for getting in touch on there. Had a message from Mama Black Bear 2, who was interested in hearing about the different types of sugars and when to use them. And uh, goes on in the question, do they affect the bakes? Are they better for you? Example, coconut, palm, etc. Well, I have to say, Mama Black Bear 2, palm sugar I avoid deliberately because of the devastation the growing of it has caused for the orangutan population. But about the others, I read your question to Chef Darren Bale. It's a brilliant question. I think it uh, it goes back to old-fashioned ways of living again, um, before refined sugars. My thought is natural sugars, i.e. Um, you've got maple and honey as you know as the runny sugars, and then you've got natural sugars in fruit, is to use like bananas and things to sweeten things, like flapjacks, things like that. And then you've got well, the coconut sugar, I believe you can use as conventional sugar, but then you've got the problem of the flavour. So then it's whether the flavour fits with your, with your recipe. And if you replace sugars like with like, like making honeycomb, I've replaced in the past uh, sort of like glucose with some honey or, or um, maple. But there again, it changes the heat. So when you're caramelising, it might caramelise a bit quicker than what conventional sugar would. So it's a case of having a play, adjust your recipe, have a practice if it goes well good great if not maybe another alternative but it's just really thinking back to the old days of when people were sweetening up their meals uh, generally really but then spices have a sweetness as well so maybe you can even spice it up and make it even different and uh, get excited so i hope that helps and also thank you to joe lyons who specializes in bakery science at the university college birmingham she says and I quote, when specifically mentioning coconut sugar, it is generally okay to substitute in a one-to-one -one ratio. If we compare this to standard white sugar, the main difference will be in the colour and flavour of the cake. In comparison, it gives a result closer to that of brown sugar. It can be perceived as healthier due to it not being refined. It's a fascinating topic and Reckon will come back to it one day. Same with cakes. Let's talk Bake Off and cast your minds back to Series 9, the one won by Rahul and Kim Joy was the runner-up. Terry Hartill was a contestant that year, nicknamed Terry the Tash. Very popular chap who I caught up with this week. If you follow him on Instagram, you'll have seen the most wonderful dogs he's made recently from clay. So I began by asking him why. I'm doing a food demonstration in Birmingham at the end of July, which is German based and we're doing German sausages. For presentation, I'm going to present them in these little, quite large dogs, sausage dogs, Dachshunds, and um, there will also be little, little smaller dogs and dog bowls of, of um, yeah, different sauces and mixes and accompaniments. I couldn't find anything I wanted to display things on, so I've made them all instead. I, I, Because I, I do pottery and whatever. Yeah. Clever um, man. Yeah. I was going to say you're going to be on the, was it, is it the, is it the pottery showdown that's a programme? Throwdown. Throwdown. That's it. That's pottery throwdown. I, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to go on, to be honest. I mean, there's so many rules and regulations once you've been on the Great British Bake Off uh, with restraints as to what you can and can't do. So um, I don't know as I would be eligible to go on there. Was it 2018 your year? I was on 2018, yes. 
long time ago now. It seems, and it seems a long time ago, to be honest. I don't, I rarely think about the Bake Off. Uh, you know, it's not something that's in my everyday thought pattern. Um, I think some people go on and they carry on using the Bake Off within their life. For me, it was, it came at a time in my personal life that wasn't fantastic. You know, um, I just lost my wife and mm. um, in that way, it worked really well. It, it sort of was a very good distraction for that year following the loss of my wife. I, you know, I wasn't doing brilliantly. Yeah, it worked really well, but it wasn't, I think, with hindsight, I should have given it another year or so. I mean, they gave me the option at the time, did I want to go on that year or the following year? Mm. And um, with hindsight, I should have gone on the following year, really, because I wasn't firing on all cylinders. And there were other things happening as well within my family, i.e. my brother was very poorly, so, um, mm. yeah. But I enjoyed the show, and, and uh, it was what it was. It wasn't what I intended, I, I, I thought it would be. Totally yeah. different to what I thought it would be, but it was uh, you know it was an experience that I wouldn't I wouldn't have swapped, and I've made some good friends from it. Hmm. Two things there. You said it's not what you thought it would be. Bear in mind it wasn't the first or the second or the third series, and you'd watched it. I'm intrigued. What did you think it was going to be then? Why was it? Why was it not as um, you thought it might be? I thought I was naive, really. I you know I thought that you actually went in there and you baked everybody baked the same things you know but actually when you got in there the the variation i don't know how the judges work to be honest um i mean the variation in any one product i think in the early days of the great british bake-off if they all baked the victoria sponge they all baked the victoria sponge mm. and then i can understand the means of judging such things because you're judging one sponge and quality and making and, and the ability to make against another in my year i felt there wasn't one recipe where everybody baked the same thing it was roughly under the name of xyz you know you all baked a tray bake uh, you all baked chelsea buns there was only two what i would call traditional chelsea buns in that bake uh, the rest of them were bread rolls bread spirals with different fillings they weren't chelsea buns so how do you judge something that has a savory filling against something that has a traditional you know it, it, it's a completely different animal yeah. so i was a little bit sort of taken aback a at the facilities what you work with and you practice with at home um, and you make the items in your time <laughs> when you get into that tent you're working with materials uh, you know with um, equipment that's completely different to your own anyway mm -hmm. in this kitchen i know where everything is you mm. know it's not readily available so there are time restraints a on the time pressure and you do only get the time that you're given yes you know there is no there's no leeway mm. so if you're waiting around five minutes for a spatula you're waiting around five minutes while somebody fetches a spatula mm. they're also the people in the crew that are filming you put your stuff in your oven so you wait around three four minutes for them to come to see you put it in the oven and all this is ticking away at your time that you don't have in your own kitchen so uh, yeah you know it, it's it's a show it's a television program and mm. i think you have to remember that they want the drama they want the the catastrophe they want the things to collapse and and um i definitely <laughs> delivered on that My... <laughs> yeah i overcomplicated all the things that i made that's the way i work i like things to be detailed and i although i simplified things right the way down 
to get them in the time scales from what I would normally do inside that tent there was no way it was ever going to happen Joanna wasn't it the, the, your wife did she Joanna, yeah. before she died then Terry did did she know you were going to go on this or was this no no, no I, I mean it's something they always joked about oh dad you should go on there you know and, and Joe would say you know yeah you should go on and whatever because I've, I've always baked I've baked since I was a little boy, really. My parents were both good bakers. My father was an, uh, you know, a, an exceptional baker, really, I think. And so it's something I'd always done. And these incredible cakes, or whatever you want to call them, um, that I make, I always made for my children or for my family as celebration cakes. Mm. Um, yeah, the, my background is in, in, um, in design and in fine art and... and uh, to some degree, television and film, where I was making set and, divide, and, and, and designing character. So I'm a three-dimensional model maker by trade, if you like. And so I just transferred the skills that you make from clay and from wax into cake. All the thousands of followers you have on your Instagram all still communicate with you, all still following your journey, and you're doing all sorts. I'm a great believer in things happen for a reason. And you kind of think, okay, you went in that year, maybe it wasn't the right year, but look at you now, the things you're doing, the, the demonstration in Birmingham you mentioned. I shy away from such things. I have not really in, embraced what the Bake Off could have given me. I'm not that type of person in a way. You know, I, I, Initially, when I was on the Bake Off, I had no social media and it wasn't until months after the show that I actually opened an Instagram account or engaged with social media. I, I mean, I didn't have a mobile phone before I went on to the Bake Off. It was, <laughs> um, and I still don't have a television and, and I don't engage with the internet very often. So I am an odd fish in that respect. But I've got so much going on in my life and mm. always have had. I've got my pottery, I've got my brewery, I've got my dairy, I've got, you know, I've got all these things that engross my time. I was very lucky that I designed something when I was very young that continues to pay me an income and has done all my life and will do. I, I design things, I make things. I would imagine most people have something I've made in their home. They might not realise it, but they'll have it. Are we allowed to ask what you have designed then, Terry? I've designed all sorts of everything from if you've got flat pack furniture, you probably will have one of the fittings that I designed when I was in my late teens that holds the flat pack furniture together. It became probably the most used flat pack fixing in, in the world. Gosh, do, so, do we shout at you then when it all goes wrong? <laughs> uh, I don't do the, I have done the designs and I have done all the work where you know, we, we're supposed to make them idiot proof. I shouldn't say that, word, should I? But um, they're supposed to be so that, you, you know, the machines do it all and, and you just put it together. Unfortunately, sometimes in the packaging department, the wrong bits get packed or too many of one and then that confuses people. It must be wonderful to have that brain though, Terry. You're one of these that has a brain that can see something or imagine something and say, right, I'm going to create something to make that work. That must be fantastic to be able to do that. It is in a way, but it's also, a, it's, a, it's a blessing and a... Curse. Yeah. My head never, ever stops. Mm. I sleep four hours a day. Um, you know, I go to bed at one, I'm up at four. Um, I wake up buzzing. 
with something else that's gone in my head. The other day I woke up and I said to my good friend, Karen, who's off, off the Great British Bake Off, we, we speak most days, and um, I messaged her and I said, you know, does everybody wake up in the morning making models of their home? You said about buzzing around your head and bees. We were talking about bees on the podcast last week. I also saw that you'd moved some bees. So is that in your repertoire as well? You, you know yes, how I, to do that? Um, I've got three hives up the garden. Oh, um, lovely. I've kept bees for over 40 years. I've, I've had bees. My grandmother kept bees, um, which fascinated me as a child. Those bees are the same strain now. I mean, multiple hives of bees since that have generations of bees, but uh, they're from the same hives as my grandmother had. In fact, the hives that I keep them in are the same hives as my grandmother had. Oh, how lovely. So, oh, that's wonderful. Uh, but yes, this year has been a, a very... Um, Dramatic start to the year for beekeepers. I don't know. If, I, I'm pretty sure because I've spoken to a lot of beekeepers that, that um, they've all had the same problem. The bees have generated very quickly. It's been perfect conditions for the bees. So there's been a lot of swarms. Um, keeping on top of of the the numbers within the hive has been very difficult. They've generated new growth very quickly. There's been lots of food about. Lots of the weather's been right. It's been moist, and uh, so there's been lots of swarms. And that's hence I've collected. Um, two swarms so far. I've been informed of three others that I could have gone and collected. Um, one I missed, it, it, it came down and um, it had gone by the time I got there. So yes, they, it, it's a, it's been a good year for swarms. Well, a good year for swarms, a bad year for beekeepers if they've lost swarms. Yes. My, uh, another friend I made from the Great Beef Bake Off is the very lovely uh, Prue Leaf. I've been lucky enough to keep in touch with her and, and, and uh, her and John and her husband and they've just moved into a house that they've had built and long story short they're creating a garden mm. and the most beautiful orchard and they've taken on bees yeah. so that has been yeah sort of a fresh journey for them but they, they've got trouble with theirs at the moment i think i haven't been down i keep saying i'll go down and have a look for them but um it looks like the hives have been abandoned which happens you know when you when you bring in new bees which they did last year if the bees aren't happy or, you know, um, they, they just go. They, they... We learnt all about it last week. Amazing creatures. And something else that I saw you did was a parachute jump. Good grief. You, <laughs> you just don't sit still, do you? Well, that was for a programme I was involved in or due to be involved in for things that people over 60 could partake at you know, at, an, at a later age, that we're still active enough to do these things. And it was a number of items that I was covering with a, a few other people, well, so-called celebrities, I guess, but I'm a Z-lister. What they call us? Plebrities. Not quite celebrities and not quite plebs. We, <laughs> we're in the bit. We're a celebrity. So, um, now, as always, when I talk to bakers, Terry, I'm going to pluck you out of your series and I'm going to pop you in another one so it can be for your time or after your time it doesn't matter which series would you like to be popped into i would probably like to be popped into last year's actually ah that's interesting yeah. why i think the challenges were nice they were actually back to a more traditional challenge and um i think it gave more interest to the viewers to, to see that things can actually be done in time and 
Um, there were none of those ridiculous challenges. I think our year, actually, 2017, uh, was probably the worst year for ridiculous challenges. We had the hottest summer on record there, you know, and doing three weeks of chocolate uh, was just was just crazy. Yeah. And everything's collapsing. Everything's going. You know, I wasn't the only one who suffered from from the weather and the you know the overambition. <laughs> <laughs> that was my problem. Over ambition. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Thanks, Terry. Fascinating man. He's currently in the process of bringing out a brand new baking tool he's invented. He has his own dairy cave where he creates traditional made cheddar cheeses that are covered in cloth, then covered in lard, as it would have happened 100, 150 years ago. And any money he makes from Bake Off related activity all goes to the children's charity Bernardo's. A good man. Thank you to all my guests this week and as always for getting in touch, be it on Facebook, Instagram or email podcast at theshatbagley.co.uk. Few mentions, Jerry has only recently watched the first series of Bake Off so was interested in hearing what it was like behind the scenes from Miranda last week, especially queuing for the loo. Uh, Jerry says, I was shocked. And Brendan too says it was fun hearing about the difficulties that took place. Kathy got in touch. Yes, we have morels here in the States. I remember foraging for them and my brother pulled the cap off a large one to reveal an equally huge red centipede. And Laura says, uh, I love hearing from prior Bake Off contestants. Any chance you can get Mary Ann from season two on? We'll see what I can do. So that's it for another week. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Right, off for a massage, but without a pole.